This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. It's no secret I have a great interest in the world of what we used to call UFOs. Now we call them UAPs, Unexplained Aerial Phenomenon. You know who else has a great interest in the world of UAPs? Congress. Congress has recently made some changes to how UAPs are reported and a lot of other things that the government does with respect to UFOs. Why? Was this all done to placate UFO conspiracy theorists like me? Or is there something more here? Well, a guy that has studied this, written about this, and researched this for quite some time and is more knowledgeable about it than most is uh, Douglas Dean Johnson, a researcher and writer on UAP-related activity in Congress and the executive branch. Douglas, it's great to talk with you again. Thanks for joining me on the radio. It's good to be with you again, Frank. Remind us, uh, Douglas, what sparked your initial interest in this subject? How long have you been following this? Well, Frank, my interest goes back to the 1960s when I was in high school. Um, I'm 71 years old now. It's been intermittent. There were long periods when I pretty much tuned it out because there didn't seem to be much new happening. I had certain convictions on the matter. But in the last five years or so, I've been able to turn a lot of attention to it again. And uh, on certain facets of it, I'm I'm in a position to do uh, research and have access to some information that uh, I think is of interest to others around the country. Uh, who seek to understand this issue better. In particular, I've been paying a lot of attention to what Congress is doing on this matter, some of the activity within the federal executive branch, but also some of the claims being widely disseminated um, through popular culture, through videos, podcasts, and so forth, and how they sync with mm. with the reality that I see on the ground. So you would have no uh, no difficulty, for instance, debunking a, a UFO or UAP claim that might be a little bit uh, a little bit too outlandish if the evidence doesn't support it. I I wouldn't uh, if the evidence doesn't support it exactly. So it's not a question in my mind of whether something is outlandish or not. Um, you know, there's a, a philosopher who said, or a British biologist uh, actually. Uh, about 100 years ago, that the universe is not only stranger than we imagine, but stranger than we can imagine. So we shouldn't reject anything a priori. We should examine the evidence for any type of claim or observation. Um, But there are a lot of tall tales out there, and some of them have been very lucrative for various individuals. Others are just sort of an echo chamber. where stories get told and exaggerated around a a kind of a self-reinforcing circuit. Um, And I think it's important to examine each of these claims, uh, give them hard scrutiny, and see if they stand up uh, under that scrutiny. Before we discuss what Congress has done uh, recently, 
there, do you believe, based on your research, that there's credible evidence to suggest that there have been UAP sightings over the years in the United States, for instance? Well, certainly there have been observations. And in my view, back to the 1940s, at least, to the World War II era, uh, and many during the 1950s and 60s, uh, by competent observers of devices uh, doing things that were not in our inventory or the inventory of any other nation on the earth. Um, and my own conclusion is that although there may be many causes of these observations, there may be many points of origin, that some of these reflect devices that we did not make. Um, now, there are obviously a lot of people who are not persuaded. They don't find this type of uh, observational evidence uh, sufficient. Um, and I am all for getting a, having a more methodical approach with hard data, instruments, and, and the, the very serious resources brought to bear on this problem, which is or this issue that's been with us for at least 70 years. One of the UFO stories that has gotten a lot of traction, especially in recent years, is the subject of a Netflix documentary. Uh, we talked about it on the radio. I spoke with the director of the uh, of this documentary, uh, Jeremy Corbell, uh, about this. Has been the allegations about uh, Bob Lazar. Bob Lazar is someone that uh, claims to have worked at uh, Area 51, and uh, he has made a lot of claims about what he saw at Area 51, including this one back in 1989. Uh, This is a clip courtesy of KLAS-TV. They had a poster, and it looked like a commercial poster almost, like it was lithographed and you could buy it at a Kmart or something, but they were all over the place, and they had the, the disc that I coined the term the sport model was lifted off the ground about three feet at at uh, area S4 on the dry lake there, and uh, the caption on the bottom said they're here. And uh, those are just all over the place. Later, he got to see the real thing. When I was let in, it was the first time I saw the sport model in the hangar sitting down, and uh, I was told they could have walked me in the front door, but they purposely wanted to walk me by it. I was told not to say anything and just keep my eyes forward and, and walk past the disc into the office area. And I did, and uh, as we went by it, I just kind of stuck my hands on it <laughs> just to run it alongside the thing. And, uh, you know, I, that, that was about the smallest time. After that, I got to see it uh, actually lift off the ground and operate. But you, you also, in between that, you saw more than one. Yeah. The hangars are all connected together, and there are large bay doors between each one. And uh, there were nine total that I saw each one being different, like they had the uh, assortment pack. Uh, Based on your research, uh, Douglas, what do you make of the story of Bob Lazar? Because it has gotten so much attention and so much traction. Well, I'm glad you asked. Uh, I have spent uh, many hundreds of hours looking into this particular claim because it has been so widely disseminated. And in this, there was pioneering research done very early on by a man named Tom Mahood who looked into this story. He had excellent local sources, uh, and uh, his, his material is still available on the Internet. And I would commend to anybody with an interest in this case his article, Bob Lazar, from the perspective of 2018, which is easily Googled up. 
but to summarize, this is an example of a tall tale, uh, which has been very lucrative for some people, but each element of it, when subjected to a measure of critical scrutiny, collapses. Um, that Bob Lazar, in summary, claimed to be a, have been hired as a senior scientist for this ultra-secret program that had, in 1989, and at least a decade earlier, by his story, nine intact captive alien spacecraft, <laughs> at least one of which they were flying around. And he claimed to have personally discovered the secret of propulsion of these craft, which was an alien isotope, a heavy isotope of the element 115, which had uh, the power to defeat gravity and also churn out power like the sun, this, this isotope. Um, and uh, he went to local broadcaster, George Knapp, and persuaded Knapp of this story. And Knapp put it out on TV and, uh, and it became a thing. Um, now, the real story, with, uh, which emerged under investigation, is that this was a recently bankrupt uh, high school graduate. He did not have two master's degrees from MIT and Caltech, as he claimed. He had a high school degree. He had some measure of technical skill and had worked as a low-level technician at Los Alamos, and I think briefly on the Nellis base, but not in any high-security area. Uh, he had been involved in a number of uh, dubious enterprises uh, before going to NAP with this story. And uh, he made a lot of claims, including claims which were checkable, like his educational background, which turned out to be totally fictitious. He was not any kind of a scientist. Um, he claimed to have a sample of this superpowered isotope that defeats gravity. That claim has been maintained now for 33 years. Uh, I saw an interview with George Knapp promoting it just this past summer uh, on a podcast. Um, so here's a <laughs> here we have a guy who claims to have proof positive of alien technology and visitation, but the time has never been ripe to show it to anybody. Never to have a televised press conference where he hands out slivers of it to three or four independent laboratories under the television lights to absolutely prove alien visitation and also, of course, prove his his story. No, the time is never right. So this is a gullibility test. Um, why th these people call out for disclosure from the government. They think the government has big secrets. Maybe the government does. But here's a guy who claims to have actual physical proof, a superpowered alien isotope, but he won't show it to you. That's a gullibility test. And uh, yet millions of people have been presented with a very cleaned up version of this story. They don't know all the contradictions that have been uh, polished off the story by George Knapp and others over the years. And so it ha it's a thing and a very lucrative enterprise. Um, this is an impedance to actual serious investigation of this phenomena. It's one of the things that's deterred government agencies and serious scientists. Uh, they don't want to get into this morass of urban myths and uh, popular culture claims of this type. Um, they don't want to be associated with it, and I can't blame them. Uh, so the the why would Bob Lazar, for instance, be sticking with this and pushing this if there are so many verifiable holes in his story? W what does he have to gain from this? Fame, money? Well, early on, he made very strenuous. <laughs> That's one of the things 
you hear from the Bob Lazar promoters. He's not profited from this. Right. Uh, That's one of the things that, that, that has been told to me by uh, some this of the Bob nonsense. Lazar pro- this is, promoters. This is nonsense. Okay. You, there's documented records. I've published it and others. In the early days, he made strenuous efforts. He had a bidding war for the movie rights to his story, which was won by New Line Pictures in uh, 1991, I think. This is all spread on the record. Anybody can look it up. But it's not part of the Nap Corbell narrative. It's not in their so-called documentary. That's a polished version. Uh, you know, and after he'd ridden this for a while, and I mean, there was more. He had his own UFO radio show for a while. He licensed a, a model of the scout craft with Tester. There was a lot of monetary stuff. But after he'd sort of milked it for a while, he went on to the next thing, which was running an illegal brothel uh, in, in Las Vegas. I mean, there are legal brothels in Nevada, but this wasn't one. He set this up and cut holes in the wall to, to shoot pictures and so forth. And he was caught, arrested, and convicted of a felony. This was like a year after the Knapp revelation. Um, and there's a whole story on that, which is fully documented. And there's much more. <laughs> He's had a number of run-ins with the law since then. We don't have time to go into mm. all of that. So this is not the story people have been presented right. with. Right. No, certainly not. It, certainly but it's, not. All prov- it's all provable, and anybody – I mean, no, no congressional staffer, for example, is going to let his boss get within you know, a mile of this because it's clearly bogus. Um, and yet, you know, there's millions of people who believe it because they've only heard the polished, marketized version. And this isn't the only example of that kind of thing. I'm just spending a lot of time sure. on it because it's one that has this huge audience right now. It did go away for a long time. And then after UFOs became a thing again these last five years because of the New York Times story in 2017 and so forth, they went and got him and persuaded him with some difficulty to once again come forward. But only Lazar uh, and his promoters never engage with informed critics. There's never any sustained questioning, anything approaching a debate. They go on where where the uh, platforms in which they're only going to get softball questions or people who have only heard their version of the story. None of them is going to debate somebody like me or Tom Hood or others who actually have delved into these claims. But I, I boil it down to this. Okay, show us the superpowered alien isotope, Bob Lazar. Hold a televised press conference, hand out some slivers to six, five, four independent labs, make one or two of them foreign. If if those lab reports come back and say this is something exotic, we've never seen anything like this, it's not of human origin, I will eat live streamed on the internet the hardcover copy of Bob Lazar's autobiography. I pledge this to your listeners. <laughs> uh, on the day that two independent lab reports come back and validate that this material is of exotic nature. They've been making this claim for 33 years. Put up or shut up. Uh, That's interesting. If people are just tuning in, we are talking with Douglas Dean Johnson. He's a researcher and writer on UAP-related activity in Congress and the executive branch. We are going to take some of your questions throughout the hour at uh, 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. What I've been most interested in is what uh, Congress has been doing. There was a law enacted in December of 2021 Uh, dealing with some changes in terms of how the government handles UFO investigations. 
Two of the prime movers behind that law were a bipartisan group of senators that included Republican Senator Marco Rubio from Florida and Democratic Senator Kirsten Gillibrand from New York. Here was Senator Gillibrand uh, speaking to the Washington Post in May on the importance of reporting UAPs. We always need air dominance to defend this country and to have... UAPs that you just don't know what they are, you don't know if they're Chinese aircraft or Russian aircraft or truly unidentifiable. These are highly concerning uh, issues. And uh, I'm curious, Douglas, if you can kind of bring us up to speed. Uh, Before the National Defense Authorization Act, what were the other recent changes that Congress has made on the UFO reporting front and on the UAP front in general? Well, for decades, uh, Congress only made occasional forays into this and pretty superficial and basically deferred to the military establishment. So there were a few hearings in the 60s and so forth, but nothing much ever came of it. After the New York Times did that story, and I think it was December of 2017, this engaged the interest of the members of Congress and their staffs, and they started. And And the center of this activity in Congress is the Armed Services Committees and the Intelligence Committees. So there are four committees. The House and Senate has these two committees, and uh, so there's four altogether. And they've been the nexus of congressional activity on this uh, on this matter since 2017. So they started asking more questions, pressuring the military and intelligence bureaucracies for answers. In uh, in 2019, we know now they actually instructed uh, in a classified. Um, instruction. They instructed the, uh, the Pentagon to set up a task force. Now that was in 2018 um, to to look into this, and they did uh, a task force centered in the Navy naval intelligence. In 2019, they put in um, public language language we could all read for the first time in the report on the Intelligence Authorization Act, instructing that they wanted a public report in the middle of 2021 on this matter. And so we got the first public report last June, uh, that's to say June of 2021, uh, on from the Director of National Intelligence. Now, it was pretty sketchy. They called it a preliminary assessment. Um, the unclassified versions said that there were 144 cases in recent years from military sources that they hadn't been able to identify. There was a classified version that was longer but uh, we've only seen a highly redacted version of that. That was 17 pages long. That led into uh, an expansive enactment, which I think we discussed on uh, last time I was on your show, that was in, uh, that Senator Gillibrand was one of the uh, architects of. There were others as well. And that was enacted in December of 2021. Um, and this uh, mandated that the Pentagon would set up a dedicated office to this. They had already done so administratively, but this greatly elevated it and expanded its mission. Um, And so the Pentagon started to comply with that. They were kind of pokey early this year, and there was some dissatisfaction. Uh, um, But they started to get up to speed. They brought in, in the spring, uh, a director for this program. I was the first to report on his identity, which I, I wrote an article on in May on my blog. Um, his and what's the Dr. blog, by the way, if people want to check that out? It's called Mirador, M-I-R-A-D-O-R. Uh, if you just put in Douglas Johnson, Mirador, M-I-R-A-D-O-R. 
um, or even Douglas Johnson UFOs that will probably come up. And there's about nine articles there. So I use this for my longer articles on uh, unidentified aerial phenomena or unidentified anomalous phenomena is now the term being used by the government. Um, I, so I reported on his, his selection, and then two months later, the Pentagon finally confirmed it. And he has quite an impressive resume. He is a career intelligence officer, but also a scientist who has you know, scores of scientific papers. He's a physicist, and he's also a, what they call a level three government manager, which means he's a program manager. So he's run some big enterprises uh, in different intelligence agencies, Dreadcom, um, uh, Spacecom, and so forth. He's he's well acquainted with the government um, security components, intelligence components, uh, and he, as I understand it, volunteered for this. Um, and that uh, may have surprised some people because here's somebody you know in mid-career who's got a very distinguished resume and and uh, and chooses um, to take it on this controversial matter, which there's no, it's no secret there's substantial lack of enthusiasm, to say the least, among some components of the military and intelligence bureaucracies for this subject matter. So Dr. Kirkpatrick took on this position, and, uh, and he's um, bringing it up to speed. Um, and I think that's a very important development to have somebody of that caliber uh, who is now operating on very explicit congressional mandates. And the new bill, which the Senate just cleared last week and will be going to the president for his signature within uh, before the end of the month, further enhances the powers of this office and expands its mandates. So the law, the Gillibrand-Rubio law of a year ago, is now being beefed up further in a number of ways that we could discuss. And, and uh, Dr. Kirkpatrick is being given even a stronger mandate directly from Congress to get to the bottom of this. All right. Um, we have a number of people that are queuing up to talk with you. If people are just tuning in, we are talking with Douglas Dean Johnson, a researcher and writer on UAP-related activity, particularly in Congress and the executive branch. We're going to get into the National Defense Authorization Act in a moment. We'll also take your calls at 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. The Other Side of Midnight presents The Midnight Files. talking about the world of UAPs. 
Uh, they used to be called UFOs. Now they call them unexplained aerial phenomenon. There have been some changes made to how we report and look at UAPs. And uh, some of those changes are very, very new and are included in uh, what the Congress just passed as part of the new National Defense Authorization Act. We're going to explore that with Douglas Dean Johnson in just a moment. But uh, first, a bunch of people are already queuing up to uh, talk with you, Douglas. We'll squeeze in at least one or two calls before we get into the NDAA. Lynn is in Maryland. Hello, Lynn. Yeah, thanks for taking my call. I just wanted your guest to comment on a documentary film I recently watched called Mirage Men that details a fairly expensive, well-funded surveillance tracking and basically a psychological warfare operation conducted by the United States Air Force against uh, several UFO researchers, seeding them with all kinds of fraudulent uh, fake evidence and taking them down various rabbit holes and basically trying to mess with their minds uh, as a way of sort of covering up advanced weapons research. Mirage Men was the name of the documentary. I'd like your guests to comment uh, any, on it. Are you up on that at all, Douglas? I am. I've read. I've seen the documentary. I've read the book on which it's based. There's another book on similar subject by uh, Greg Bishop. And this certainly uh, did go on in those instances uh, described in those books and in, in other cases as well. That's to say there were agents of the Air Force and other uh, components of the government at times who deliberately fed misinformation to people in the ufological field um, in, a, in an attempt to, uh, uh, in these cases we're talking about, they were attempting to conceal uh, secret weapons programs and to confuse the Russians and you know disint- uh, counterintelligence operations and that sort of thing. Now, some of this is of was question of questionable legality, perhaps uh, even in the era in which it was occurring. So this is important history to know. It's it's quite separate in my view from you know the real UAP issue um, because they didn't they weren't concerned at least I think in the, ca- the cases we're mainly talking about at the moment they weren't concerned with whether there were UFOs or not. They were just using the belief in them and the fact that there was a community out there who believed in them as a useful tool uh, for these purposes that they had. And, you know, I personally find that objectionable, but um, it it is important uh, to to filter that out. And that's one of the things, actually, that this new office that Congress has created in the executive branch is tasked with doing, is sorting out the past government activity uh, going back to 1945. And they've been given the authorities to do this. So we can talk more about the mechanisms for doing it. But I hope in a couple of years we will have more authoritative reconstruction of what actually happened in some of these cases that the caller is referring to on what authority those people were operating and so forth. But then that's kind of should be kind of set aside. I mean, uh, because that's not what we're really trying to get to the bottom of. Sure. We want to know about the real thing. Right. Okay. So let's talk about the real thing. The National Defense Authorization Act, I think most Americans have an understanding that it de- deals with defense spending and things of that nature. What's in the NDAA as it relates to UAPs and UAP reporting? Okay, so I- I'm going to talk here about the last year's law as amended by the new one that the president will be signing before the end of the month, uh, because that's what we're going to end up with is the, the product of these two 
successive enactments one year apart. Um, and they made the be bedrock the foundation last year, and now they're building on it, um, making it stronger. So we, we have now, with these new laws, an office in the Pentagon uh, called the All-Domain Anomaly Resolution Office, or ARO, which has got an exclusive mission to look into what is now called in the law unidentified anomalous uh, phenomena, UAP. Not just aerial anymore, but anomalous. Um, and it's to cover not devices or objects uh, that are unidentified, whether in the atmosphere, uh, in space, or under the water, or moving between these different uh, mediums. So that's the that's the scope of this office's mission, Arrow's mission. The office is headed by this uh, physicist I mentioned, this veteran intelligence officer and program manager, Dr. Sean Kirkpatrick. And uh, they are being given resources. Uh, they are mandated to do several things. They are to have an active science program. Um, they have to have the capacity through designated components of the military to send field teams out where there's activity reported to get actual instrumented data. They are to receive reports from all the military components. And decrees have gone out through all of the military services and intelligence services that this type of activity, these type of reports are now to go to a central location, which is Arrow. So Congress is consolidating this uh, flow of information. But beyond that, they are to also, two things. One, do a historical study of all government activity relating to this subject going back to 1945. And that's a big, that's a big mandate right there. There are some people out there in the civilian world who could help them a lot on that, and I hope that they call upon those individuals. And I have some specific people in mind. But beyond that, they're creating in this new bill uh, what they call a secure, sir, uh, secure mechanism for receiving confidential reports from people in the government, or formerly in the government, or formerly or currently employed by government contractors on this subject matter. So we've all heard these stories. You mentioned Bob Lazar, but there are many stories of people who say, I talked to a guy who worked in the secret program and they had something that was alien. They were trying to figure out how it worked. There's even been stories of you know alien cadavers and, and vaults and so forth like this. Many stories like this. Um, and some of the people who tell them are, appear to be more credible than others. There are many stories. Uh, there's a researcher whom I greatly respect named Robert Hastings, who spent more than 40 years focusing just on incidents involving nuclear weapons. And he has now in his archives about 160 witnesses, uh, some named and some anonymous, but he has vetted them all to make sure they were where they said they were and so forth. 160 people who have been involved in some way in the custody of weapons of mass destruction who also reported UFO incidents in connection with that responsibility. So I say either we have a big problem with our vetting of the people to whom we entrust nuclear weapons, because it seemed to be an extraordinary number telling these stories, uh, and if they're prone to delusion or fabrication, that seems to me to indicate a vetting problem. Or otherwise, there's something going on 
that deserves more sustained scrutiny. Um, so this new system, anybody with stories like that can come in and tell them uh, and be protected. The, the law is very, provides very robust protections against any form of reprisal. All uh, non-disclosure agreements and, and the Espionage Act and the Atomic Secrets Act are waived to the extent that they are using this secret system, which, which is being run by this office, Arrow. And the information provided to that system by these whistleblowers, these witnesses, if it's found credible, and if any of it is previously unknown, previously unreported to Congress, the law requires that the Secretary of Defense reported to the Congressional Security Committees within 72 hours, within 72 hours. So if any of these stories check out, uh, the Congressional Armed Services and Intelligence Committees are going to find out about it within 72 hours. Now, this is a whole new thing. Nothing like this has ever been attempted before. Um, now, what happens then? That gets complicated. If, if somebody comes in with something amazing and it checks out and the committees are informed of it, that doesn't mean they hold a hearing next week. The impression has been conveyed by some people, including Mr. Corbell, who you mentioned earlier, that you know we're right on the verge of televised hearings where uh, alien visitation is disclosed and so forth. No, it doesn't work that way. Classification doesn't work that way. Um, if the lawmakers with security clearances on these security committees something is brought to them that they think the public should know about, then you would get into a dialogue behind closed doors between the executive branch and the legislative branch. We think this should be made public. Well, if the executive branch doesn't think it should be made public, they're the ones who run classification for the most part. And there has never been a case, as far as I can find, in which the Congress has declassified something over the active sustained objection of a president. When they disagree, they come to a negotiated settlement. So we're talking way down the road now here on hypotheticals. Um, but you know, this is a marathon; it's not a mm -hmm. it's not a sprint. And and it is very important that Congress is bearing down on this, and that you know they are in a methodical way creating mechanisms and mandates and legal authorities here, and making their will clear. And if they keep that up, you know, we'll get to the bottom at least of some of this stuff. Uh, some people think, you know, there's there's some archive in the government, there's some control group where they know everything about this. I'm skeptical of that, but if so, it's going to come out. Um, it, it something like that might have been possible in the 50s or the 60s, but it, the, the law now is clear that that sort of thing cannot be sustained. It would be it would have no legal foundation. So, with that in mind, uh, I mean, obviously, uh, there are people that believe. There are alien bodies uh, somewhere, footage of an alien autopsy somewhere, and all sorts of non-human uh, technology that the government is um, back-channeling and reverse-engineering to create other uses for it that we can use. If that stuff does exist, will these new reporting procedures, these new whistleblower procedures that uh, that Congress has adopted – Will that result in sort of a public, publicly disclosed smoking gun about this kind of thing? Well, so it's what I just said. If, if there's this mechanism, uh, if witnesses come in with credible evidence, that will that 
must be passed on quickly to the congressional committees, but it's still classified, presumably. Mm-hmm. Uh, if, it, uh, if it's not classified, then it's just up to the lawmakers if they think this is credible enough, you know, it's ripe for public disclosure. But presumably, it would be under some kind of classification. And again, they, you require the executive branch's cooperation, which ultimately means the president. The president is at the top of the classification system. Um, the, in addition to that, these laws give the arrow director himself expansive authority to knock on any door and to get answers on this subject. And he is mandated to, if there's any case in which he is denied access to information related to this subject, he is mandated to inform the uh, Congressional Security Committees, the Intelligence Committee, the Armed Services Committee chairman and ranking minority members that he has been denied access to X, Y, or Z. So there are two mechanisms. He can actively go and seek it if, if you know, he gets a tip or information that tells him to look a certain place. Um, and there's this reporting mechanism for private individuals or government employees, former employees to come in. But that's voluntary. So what's important? one thing that's important now is people who think they have that kind of information, and but who have been uh, told that you can never talk about this, they will sign the non-disclosure agreement, who have been, you know, warned by their commanding officer, never speak of this, that doesn't apply anymore. Not on this subject, not if they use the new system, which will shortly be in place. They're protected. It's prohibited for their employer, uh, any government contractor, to take any adverse action against them based on using the system. So it's important that people come forward. Now, I expect in some cases, Frank, what you're going to hear are excuses. It's not good enough. Mm -hmm. Uh, They could still, you know, if they would have done one more thing, then I would do it. Because some people like to tell stories, but in the end, they don't want to subject those stories to any real serious scrutiny. Um, and so, you know, don't expect to see Bob Lazar going in and uh, and being interviewed by the government UFO office because his story doesn't stand up even under amateur mm-hmm. scrutiny. Um, but, there are, you know, there are others who may be sincere, but who may, your caller mentioned, you know, perhaps somebody was uh, misled. They they thought they were working for a secret UFO program, but actually it was a secret government weapons program, and that was just the cover story they were told. So that would quickly come out because they will be able to check these claims. But if something is brought to them that really – that is, and I should have said by way of preface, Frank, there are reporting requirements now in law that have grown up since the 1970s, and they now cover every kind of secret program must be reported to certain members of Congress, not to Congress, you know, in general, but to the uh, select groups of leaders of the Intelligence and Armed Services Committees and the top congressional leadership in the House and Senate. There is no kind of secret program that does not have to be reported to one of these select groups of lawmakers. And I I am confident, I have satisfied myself, that there has never been any kind of UFO program reported to any of them. So there isn't any secret program out there that Congress has been informed of relating to UFOs. And in fact, the top Pentagon intelligence officer, Ronald Moultrie, was asked about this in public hearing last May before the House Intelligence Subcommittee, and he also said there weren't any programs that he was aware of since... uh, since the Harry Reid program of uh, 2010. So so uh, it, anything that comes in uh, where somebody says, 
provides credible evidence that uh, some component of the government, a government contractor has an alien artifact or something they don't understand that may be of alien origin. That's new. That has never been reported to Congress and must be within 72 hours under this new law. Hmm. Uh, that's uh, pretty interesting and pretty exciting. Uh, talking with Douglas uh, Douglas Dean Johnson about uh, this uh, whole NDAA, let me ask you about something called the Davis-Wilson notes. I have to confess this was something that I was pretty much unfamiliar with until Congress held their UAP hearing, the House Intelligence Subcommittee hearing, back in May. Here is Congressman Mike Gallagher uh, pressing Pentagon officials on this Davis-Wilson memo. This is from May of 2022. And then finally, are, are you aware of a document that appeared around uh, 2019, uh, sometimes called the Admiral Wilson memo or EW Notes memo? I am, I am, I am not. You're not. Are you sure? I'm not personally aware of that. Okay. Uh, this is a document in which, again, I'm not commenting on the veracity. Uh, I was hoping you would help me with that, in which a former uh, head of DIA claims mm-hmm. to have had a conversation with the doctor. Eric Wilson uh, and claims to have uh, sort of been made aware of certain um, contractors or, or DOD programs um, that he tried to get uh, fuller access to and was denied uh, access to. Um, so you're not aware of, of that? I'm not aware, Congressman. Uh, in my 10 seconds remaining, then, I, I guess I just would ask Mr. Chairman unanimous consent to enter that memo into the record. Without objection. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Appreciate it. Douglas, what, what is that? What's he talking about? What is this uh, Davis-Wilson memo? So Eric Davis is a, uh, is a scientist who has worked in a number of government programs and works now for a, a federal contractor called the Aerospace Corporation. And this document purports to be uh, notes that he wrote um, in 2002, I believe it was, based on a conversation he purportedly had with uh, Thomas Wilson, who had then just recently left position uh, as director of the uh, Defense Intelligence Agency. Um, now, it's disputed whether, you know, that's actually what it is, but that's what it purports to be, and it leaked out of the estate of the, the astronaut, Edgar Mitchell. Um, I, I was quite interested in it when it came to public light in 2019, and there's still a lot of interest in it in the uh, ufological community. Um, the uh, Admiral Wilson um, has denied that any such meeting or conversation ever took place. Uh, Eric Davis, the purported author of the notes, does not publicly comment on the on the matter. Uh, but it's the kind of thing, it's the kind of story that this new system could get to the bottom of if people will participate in it. Participation is voluntary. I mean, they're not going to drag people in. And, um, the, but it's the kind of thing where it, it's, it should be possible to get to the bottom of if people will come in and speak under the protections of this new system that Congress is creating. The basic story is that this uh, this retired DIA director uh, said he had tried to find the secret UFO programs and he bumped into one, but they wouldn't let him all the way in. But they did tell him they had an artifact not made by man that they couldn't figure out how it worked. Um, and there's a lot of problems with this story, but it's very detailed. And because there are two real individuals, you know, named who are who are still alive, it's of interest to a lot of people, uh, but we don't have any answers on it. And even, you know, even if the conversation did take place, and even if it was really a, a retired Admiral Wilson who Eric Davis talked to, 
was the story real? I mean, your caller uh, a little while ago talked about cases in which government uh, officials did deliberately interject misinformation into the UFO community for various purposes that they thought legitimate. So you'd have to entertain the possibility it may have been a case like that. We just don't know, or at least I don't know. I've, I've got serious questions about the story. It's the kind of story that this new system ought to be able to unravel if people will cooperate. If they don't cooperate, then I have to question you know, their, uh, what their priorities are, I guess. <laughs> Uh, we're going to take a quick break. We'll try and continue with some of your phone calls in just a minute. 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. Talking with researcher and writer Douglas Dean Johnson, who has done some terrific work on UAP-related activity in Congress and the executive branch. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. Midnight. Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. I'm coming home, baby, now. I'm coming home now, right away. I'm coming home, baby, now. I'm sorry now I ever went away. Every night and day I go and stay. I'm coming home, baby. I'm on home. Coming home, baby, now. You know I'm waiting for you. I'm coming home now real soon. Coming home, baby, coming home, by baby the now. Velvet Fog himself, the great Mel Torme, whose son, by the way, Tracy Torme, is one of the great science fiction writers of all time. He has written for uh, Star Trek The Next Generation. He was one of the showrunners, I believe, uh, for a great TV show called Sliders, which dealt with uh, parallel worlds and uh, things of that nature. Spending the hour with uh, Douglas Dean Johnson, who is a researcher on UAP-related activity, uh, Douglas, you alluded to this new group, Arrow, A-A-R-O. The fellow that has been picked to head Arrow, Dr. Sean Kirkpatrick, what do we know about him? You kind of reported on this months before the Pentagon acknowledged that he was going to be in charge. Uh, what did you know that uh, nobody else seemed to, and, and who is this person? Well, he's a physicist, and he's a He's been involved in the government uh, intelligence agencies as a scientist and a program manager since he got out of graduate school, I guess. So he's a, he's, he's run a number of uh, important programs. His last position uh, before taking this one was with the Defense Intelligence Agency's mission, uh, Missile uh, Intelligence Center down in Huntsville. But he's in, been involved with STRATCOM and SPACECOM and, and other important programs at the top level. So he's a very impressive resume. Um, I don't, I've not met him personally. I, you know, I, I'm only reporting on what I find in uh, in his history and reading his articles. There's some videos of him uh, speaking to different groups on the internet and so forth. But he, he is, uh, uh, he certainly gives the appearance of wanting to do this in a very professional way and to carry out the will of Congress here. Um, and they have given this director expansive authorities on this. And in, in this new bill, they actually elevate the status of the director by 
saying he will report directly to the Deputy Secretary of Defense. Now, this is the number two official in the whole Defense Department, sometimes referred to as the alter ego of the Secretary of Defense. So this is, in bureaucratic terms, uh, something that people take notice of. And as I told you, he's been told, the law says that the director of this office is denied access to any information at any level of classification about this subject by any component of the intelligence community or the military. He is mandated to report that denial to the chairman and ranking members of these congressional security committees, mandated because it's contrary to the will of Congress. They want this office, this director, to have everything not just everything that is known now, but uh, they want these agencies to go back and dig through their archives and provide everything that they can find on this subject. And, you know, I don't, people think that all of this is in one place and that somebody in the government knows everything. I'm skeptical of this, but there's probably a lot of stuff that's been buried and forgotten um, that could be found if there's an active uh, search for it, and that's what they're going to undertake. Uh, let me squeeze in at least one more call here. Bob is in Yonkers. Uh, Bob, what's your question? Thank you, Frank. I'd like to ask your guest, is the Roswell incident true or false, and is the government holding back any alien bodies? Well, these are the kind of questions we hope this new system gets to the bottom of. I don't know that something odd happened at Roswell, that's for sure. Uh, in 1947, but there are so many layers of, uh, you know, storytelling on top of it now that it's hard to extract the original event from the tales that have been told. Um, but it's certainly, there's enough smoke there that I, I think it needs to receive sustained scrutiny from the, the new office. Um, many of the uh, witnesses or claimed witnesses uh, to the early days are now deceased. But if there are people in programs uh, who have worked in programs, whether in the government or contractors, who claim to have seen material from this event that, that was of exotic nature, then they should come forward to this new system so that information can be brought to the attention of the congressional committees and that stuff can be brought to light. Um, so we don't know. Uh, some, of the, some of the stories that have been told about Roswell clearly do not check out, but I think it's certainly and there's enough there to warrant very serious, sustained scrutiny and investigation. What do you think is next for the UFO disclosure movement? What's next either from a media perspective, a public policy perspective? What can we expect Congress to do? What's the next step in this whole thing? Well, very shortly, we're going to get a second report from the Director of National Intelligence because the law mandates an annual unclassified report. I mentioned earlier the first one, which was kind of pretty sketchy in June of 2021, but now uh, they're supposed to produce a much more detailed report. It was actually due on October 31st, so we're about two months overdue, but it, we've been told that it will be out by the end of the month. So we'll be picking through that and seeing this will be unclassified. Congress, the, the security committees will get a classified version, which will be more detailed. Uh, that should happen before the end of the month. Douglas, I really want to thank you uh, for being so generous with your time. I want to encourage folks uh, to uh, check out your blog. I've learned a lot from reading your reporting on this. I'll look forward to our next conversation. And I hope to check out my Twitter account as well at D. Dean Johnson. That's two D's, D-E-A-N Johnson. 
That's right. Uh, you want to comment on any portion of our conversation, give me a call, 800-848-9222. Your influence counts, so use it. 